Hello and welcome to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. We are the boyfriends, I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And today we're doing Season 7, Episode 7, A Humiliating Business. Yes. So in today's episode I'm going to be leading and Joel's going to give us his trivia and his fun facts. Do you have anything to start us off with? I do. So this episode aired on the 7th of November 2010 and at the point of airing, that's only, uh, god what, 13 years and a couple of days? Mm-hmm. I think this episode airs on the 4th of November. <laughs> so it's very close. I have been waiting for the time where an episode airs on the same date that ours obviously comes out, but obviously extra years. The episode was directed by the great Larry Shaw, who obviously we have seen many, many times, and written by Marco Panett. So the episode title comes from the song Everyday Little Death from Sometimes A Little Night Music, which again, I think was the title of an episode. And this is the first episode to show Bob and Lee kiss. Oh yeah, weird. Which I don't, I think is correct. I don't recall ever actually seeing them kiss. Even though they got married in one episode. Yeah. Karen and Roy, it is confirmed in this episode, according to Mary Alice, are married. Oh yeah, because they did say they were going to do that. But we didn't see it, so assumed they haven't got married yet. And then Mary Alice refers to Karen as Roy's wife. Yeah, even though this season picked up minutes after the last season ended, so when did that happen? Exactly. So, yes, Bob and Lee barely got their wedding shown. At least they had an episode. Yeah, sorry, Karen. (laughs) Sorry, Karen. Like, the audacity of it. So, this episode focuses on uh, menopause in Bree's storyline. So, I did a little research on the menopause... So menopause is when your period stops due to lower hormone levels, usually affecting women between the ages of 45 and 55, but it can happen earlier. Mm-hmm. Some men develop depression, loss of sex drive, erectile dysfunction, and other physical and emotional symptoms when they reach their late 40s to early 50s, and this can be called the male menopause or the andropause, but the male menopause is an unhelpful term sometimes used in the media. Can't we call it menopause and their one womenopause? Womenopause. <laughs> <laughs> The experience, because I started, I went into a bit of a rabbit hole with the menopause stuff, because I actually started finding some of it quite interesting. The experience of menopause as a whole is very much influenced by psychological and social factors, such as past experience, lifestyle, social and cultural meanings of menopause, and a woman's social and material circumstances. That's interesting. Yeah. The paradigm within which a woman considers menopause influences the way she views it. So women who understand menopause as a medical condition rate it significantly more negatively than those who view it as a life transition or as a symbol of ageing. Ethnicity and geography can also play roles in the experience of menopause. So two multinational studies of Asian women found that hot flushes were not the most commonly reported symptoms. Instead, body and joint aches, memory problems, sleeplessness, irritability and migraines were. Hmm, now that's very interesting. In another study comparing experiences of menopause amongst white Australian women and women in Laos, Australian women reported higher rates of depression as well as fears of ageing, weight gain and cancer. Fears not reported by Laotian women who positioned menopause as a positive event. It seems that Japanese women experience menopause effects or konenki in a different way from American women. Japanese women report lower rates of hot flashes and night sweats and this can be attributed to a variety of factors both biological and social. Historically, Kaneki was associated with wealthy, middle-class housewives in Japan, i.e. it was a luxury disease that women from traditional intergenerational <laughs> rural households did not report. You don't hear of luxury diseases very often. Yeah, right. 
<laughs> Menopause in Japan was viewed as a symptom of the inevitable process of aging rather than a revolutionary transition or a deficiency disease in need of management. Few animals have a menopause, so humans are joined by just four other species in which females live substantially longer than their ability to reproduce, and the others are beluga whales, narwhals, orcas, and the short-finned pilot whale. Hmm, okay. It's interesting, but as humans, naturally, we don't like getting older. No. And that's probably because centuries ago, we used to die very, very young, and we keep living longer, and that's making it more depressing. The fact that you hit your 30s and you're like, wow, if this was centuries ago, I would have been dead by now. Yeah, or close to it. So I'm pretty much old. Yeah, I would have been old. That's what yeah. it feels like. That is true. I just, I, f- I went into a bit of a menopause rabbit hole because I just started finding it so fascinating about how the geolog- geographical, like the locations of geography can really change the way a person feels menopause. Yeah, that is really interesting. Not sank I ever thought about. No. So this week. I just said sank. Sank, not sank. So this week, BP raises the estimated cost of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico to $40 billion. Mm. San Francisco passes a law banning McDonald's from giving free children's toys of unhealthy food. Oh, what? (laughs) So no more Happy Meal toys? No more Happy Meal toys for San Francisco. That's devastating. (laughs) I really wanted the Dr. Octopus one when Spider-Man 2 came out, and I never got it, and it's the only one I ever wanted. The main ones I remember were when they released those Coke cans, like the glass Coke yeah, cans. I never got any of those either. Oh, me and my mum had tons of them. They were great. Mm. It's like the best ones. The United States Border Patrol finds a sophisticated tunnel between Tijuana in Mexico and Ote Mesa in California used by drug smugglers. <laughs> Formula Rosa, the world's fastest roller coaster, opens at Ferrari World in Abu Dhabi. Ready Steady Cook, thought to be the longest running cookery show currently on television, is axed by the BBC. Oof. Nigel Farage is re-elected as leader of the UKIP party, or the UK Independence Party. He's an awful person, that's an awful party. Just, there you go. Uh, Christ the King, the world's biggest statue of Jesus, is completed in Poland. And (laughs) this is probably my favourite piece of trivia, like, weekly trivia I've ever had to give. (laughs) Queen Elizabeth II starts a Facebook page, but one is not permitted to poke or befriend her. Oh. (laughs) What, as in, they just removed those functions? I don't know, but like, yeah, on Facebook you could poke people, couldn't you? Yeah. So, the number one song in the US was We Are Who We Are by Kesha, Woo. which was a great song. And the number one song in the UK was Only Girl in the World by Rihanna. Mm, okay, we're getting there. Pretty good week for music, I'd Some say. Some bangers. Yeah. Actual bangers. So, the number one film in the UK at this week was Due Date never heard of it no is it a comedy about a pregnant woman it would be a comedy about oh i think i actually remember is it love actually for pregnant women no i think isn't it like about a woman that goes into labor and her husband's on like the other side of america and he's got to try and get i don't know i don't know i feel like the i feel like the image of the the poster is there in my head Hmm. and the number one song in the u.s number number one song the number one film in the u.s was megamind the cartoon the animated film yeah that was cool that was cool yeah Mm. and that's my trivia very good very good so previously on desperate housewives mike left for a job in alaska to support his family leaving susan and mj alone Bree's relationship with keith got more serious with them deciding to stay together despite their baggage and beth upped her game with whatever her plan is and kissed paul with the implication that they had sex yeah So, Mary Alice opens the episode saying that humiliation is something that we all try to avoid whenever possible, and that is our theme. Now, Brie falls down while roller skating with Keith, and he worries that she did it on purpose as an excuse to get out of dinner with his parents, because she's going to meet his parents for the first time. 
Bree then complains about the heat, even though Keith thinks it isn't actually that hot, and then she faints. Yeah, the difference between Bree and Keith is so blatantly obvious here as well. Like, Bree's all dolled up in her safety gear because they're skating, and Keith's just, Keith, Keith, Keith is just like skating on the wild side. Like, he doesn't even have a helmet. <laughs> yeah, but Bree's a skinny lady. If she falls down, she might never get back up. Yeah. <laughs> So she gets her blood pressure looked at by a paramedic, and it turns out that she's going through the menopause. Keith returns to her side with water, and Bree decides to keep this information from him. And, you know, many women do find menopause humiliating, especially when it's, it's early a, and you're younger than you think you should be, be getting it. So There's a stigma behind it. There's there such is. a stigma behind it, because people hate ageing. So, Brie tells the ladies about her menopause, and she gets a few different reactions. Gabby says that she isn't old enough to have a friend going through menopause. Not that she's not old, that Brie isn't old enough to have menopause, but Gabby's not old enough to have a friend going yeah, through menopause. Yeah, Gabby's like, I'm not old enough to have a friend going through menopause. Which is very Gabby. Karen practically tells her to shut up and get over it. And Lynette says that it has its ups and downs, as you can skip the grumpy period days. But I'm glad we've got Karen in the room to help slap some sense into these ladies because even Karen's like I hate to interrupt the announcement of your death sentence but you know it's really not that bad it's very yeah it's not that bad but let her go for it because it's just another sign that she's getting older and people don't like it no no they don't but just let her indulge in her moan and then move on she then worries about telling Keith but Everyone basically just tells her she doesn't have to and to not worry about it. Yeah, even is... Renee is there like, oh, come on, everybody lies to their partner. Yeah, this is an, this is an interesting outcome. Not, even, not one person was like, I think you should tell him. Not one. Well, I don't... No, not one. No, not one. Brie goes to her gynecologist to talk about menopause and the lady is going for it herself. Mm. Brie asks if there's anything to mask the symptoms as she's dating a younger man, which the gyno congratulates her for. And she agrees to help Brie with this so that she can continue with her relationship and come all, come across as, you know, I'm still young and down and fun. Again, this gyno girl doesn't actually say to her, maybe you should tell your partner. No, she's like, girl, I understand. You do you. Yeah, she's. it's such a weird conversation between these two women. Like, why would you just openly say to someone who isn't your doctor, by the way, because she comes in and Brie's like, oh, I'm sorry, I normally see whoever so this isn't actually Bree's doctor random stranger first time you've met them and you just openly say i want to lie to my boyfriend i think it's just because they're going through the same thing aren't they so it's one of those things where you're like oh my god you're going through this too well this is what i'm doing this is what i need to do but they tell me they talk about keith like he's some sort of experiment yeah it's like really degrading for poor old keith i'm glad he's not in the room (laughs) yeah so Brie and Keith go to dinner, and Brie meets Keith's parents, and it turns out that his mum is the gynecologist from earlier. Of course. And it's instantly awkward. And it doesn't look good for Brie, who's straight up said, I'm willing to lie to keep my man to this woman. Yeah, but she encouraged it. She really did. But she doesn't seem to see the funny side of it at all. The dad seems to like Brie, saying that she's the first woman that Keith has introduced them to, but the gynecologist, whose name is Mary, keeps making it awkward, asking about grandchildren and all sorts. As she gets more and more drunk as well. <laughs> yeah, Mary is fucked. Yeah. Like, I know this is a rough evening, but you're humiliating yourself, girl. She's having a great time. She's like, God knows what'll come out when I get more drunk. I could say anything, Brie. And then, like, she yells for the waiter and spills the drink everywhere. Like, don't yell for the waiter, guys. It's obnoxious. Keith then asks Mary to review Brie's symptoms, <laughs> which is so weird. It's what the hell? And she starts to imply that Brie is going through menopause, leading to Brie to admit it. And then Keith tries to stop his mum as well. Like, first, what the hell, Keith? Because you ask your mum to look over Brie, which is inappropriate, yep. I might add. And then when she does, you then tell her to stop pestering Brie. Like, your mum can't win with you. Right. 
Keith goes to Bree's house to find her sitting on the stairs. Apparently she left without telling them because she was embarrassed by the whole situation. Keith says that he doesn't care about any of this stuff, but Bree says that she always knew that there was an expiration date on this relationship. He doesn't care that she can't get pregnant and that he can adopt anyway, but Bree says that she doesn't actually want any more children and she's been she's been there, done that. I mean, it's sweet that Keith is fine with adoption, but Bree has done the whole kid thing. Yeah, I mean, that's all well and good if Brie was like, oh good, because I also want kids, but she don't. Yeah. And so sadly, the relationship has to end. They don't want the same thing. No. Keith seems reluctant to break up, as they're happy, and it's too soon to talk about kids anyway, but Brie knows what's up, and gives him a sad hug, probably implying that they're going to break up. It is, however, revealed in the ending montage that they are still together. Yeah. I mean, it is soon, because Keith, Keith is there basically complaining that they've only been dating a couple of months, so it's too soon to talk about kids. And I guess it is too soon to discuss kids, but surely it's better to have the conversation sooner rather than later. And if you know from an early point that the two of you are going in completely separate directions, then cut it now. This is a sad situation because we know they're not going to last. It's sad. So, so sad. sad. Okay, let's do Lynette then. So... Susan and MJ are in a shop, and he's complaining because Susan is buying the cheaper alternative to a cereal he likes. It doesn't come with a prize. The prize is that we can afford it. Do you remember when cereal used to do that? They don't do that anymore, do they? They yeah. don't have little things in the cereal. Like, I remember the Rice Krispies that you, you, like, you used to pour it out, and it used to come with like a little spoon, because you had like the four Rice Krispie characters, didn't you? And it, each snack, crackle, and pop had a little spoon, and they'd be inside, and then you could eat your cereal with the little spoon that came with the cereal. That's pretty cool. Although, to be honest, I only have one cereal prize that I ever remember, and it's when they used to do the Roald Dahl books. I won't really call that cereal prize. You can't hide that in cereal. I know, but that was my favourite and it's the only one I remember. And that sounds really nerdy. But that's the only one I remember. Yeah. Do you remember that? I mean, yeah, I remember when Roald Dahl did, like, the the cereal did the... I got, like, a a little tiny version of the Twits and other things. Mm. Never got Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Never got Matilda. Those are the ones I wanted. Mm. Anyway, Susan cannot have afford her shopping when the Till Lady, or the Till Slag, announces the price, though. She then asks Susan if she wants to donate to charity, and Susan goes on a rant, and we have a clip. Has that piercing affected your sight? I'm counting pennies here. Lady, we're supposed to ask everyone. Calm down. Calm down. I can't afford to buy my kid the cereal he likes. He's got to eat this cardboard crap. Ooh, nickel in the swear jar. And that used to be a quarter in the swear jar. We've even had to mark down our swears. So don't talk to me about the poor, because I am the poor. Where's my little jar at the checkout stand? There is none. Don't feel bad. She screamed at her dry cleaners, too. Well, Susan, welcome to the life of the working class. Yeah. We've even had to mark down our swears. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty povo. You know, I, I do feel for the till slag, because... Stop calling her a till slag. (laughs) She is just doing her job. (laughs) And she probably does have to ask everyone. But my God, get some common sense. No, I mean, she is just doing her job. I don't necessarily believe that she deserved to be snapped at for that. However, she was being a slag before (laughs) she did that. Okay, let's face it. Susan couldn't afford the shopping. It was too much. She didn't have enough money. So Susan was like, okay, I'm going to have to return some stuff. And the minute that Susan was like giving her things to return, like take back so that she could make the shopping cheaper, the woman behind the like the, the checkout slag um, rolled her eyes mm-hmm. 
and the guy that was in the queue behind Susan rolled his eyes and moved. He just left. <laughs> Everyone in this store was such an asshole. I do not blame Susan for snapping in the situation because I would literally be like, do you know what? I'm counting fucking pennies right here. Don't be such a shit. But also these days we have the machines where you can scan as you go so you can put stuff back and it's far less embarrassing. Yeah, or like Neto. She wouldn't have that problem with Neto. God. So, Renee tells Lynette that she wants to start an interior design business while Lynette is breastfeeding. She also says that breastfeeding is unnatural, which is <laughs> just... so unnatural. <laughs> which is just bizarre. Two uh, friends working together isn't always a good thing. No, it's not. And Lynette agrees to work with Renee on her new business idea, which is very interesting, especially with what you just said, considering what we know about Len- Renee and Tom. Mm. Like, how close do you want to get to the woman? Yeah. You, like, you even want to work with her? What if she finds out about you and Tom? Everything will blow up, even your career. That's true. They mentioned that in, like, episode one of this season, and we've not really had anything come from it since. No, which is typical Death for Housewives. It is very product. difficult, de- typical of Death for Housewives. They both disagree about working conditions, though, as Renee refuses to let the baby in her house, but also refuses to work out of Lynette's house. So she tells Lynette that she needs to get a nanny. I mean, I'm glad Renee said that, because how can you bring a potential client when you have a screaming baby in the meeting? Exactly. Later, Susan is folding laundry, and Renee leaves a voicemail about her new interior design business and offers Susan a job. She doesn't say what the job is. She doesn't, no. She excitedly goes over to Lynette's house to talk to both of them about the job, but it turns out the job isn't in the interior design business, but it's to be Lynette's nanny. (laughs) Which Lynette didn't know about as well, by the way. No, Lynette didn't know about that, but I don't know why Lynette didn't think of this already. She needed a nanny, Susan clearly needs a job. I think it's obvious why she didn't. It's a bit, it's awkward, isn't it? It is awkward, but I'm surprised Lynette didn't go to Susan and go, look, you know, I've got this position open if you want to do something until you find another job and she could have phrased it in that way so that then susan could feel like she's doing her friend a favor getting a bit of money but she's not stuck there it's not a permanent it's thing. hard isn't it because no one wants to feel like they're being given charity or a handout i think what i would do if i was in it is just bring it up to susan like oh yeah i'm looking for a nanny right now so i want to take care of the baby just while i do some stuff it'd be good pay it's really hard to find someone at the moment but what's the difference because then they're thinking it's their own idea <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem like charity. Susan is visibly surprised, but pretends that she knew that this was the job the whole time. It's so sad. Yeah. Starting right away. Even though MJ's probably alone in the flat. Yeah. No, she's Susan's probably taking him to Karen's. Or Maxine. Yeah. Maybe Maxine's watching it. True. So Lynette is telling Renee about all of the progress that she's made setting up the business side of the company. And Renee isn't listening. No, and it may be dull, but you have to pay attention to this, Renee. Like, it's your business girl. And it sounds like Lynette's pretty on it. Yeah. Susan then comes down to say that she's put the baby to sleep, and Lynette is trying to make conversation, but Susan doesn't seem particularly interested or respondent. She is cold. It gets awkward as Lynette is trying to get Susan to just sit down with them, but she seems upset about her job i imagine yeah well i don't blame her i've had a very similar situation to season where i thought i was going for one type of work and it actually wasn't it was a completely different type of work so i've is this the butcher's thing it is the butcher's thing yeah funny have this coming up again <laughs> <laughs> so i went for a company that uh, i thought was an interior design company because it's got the same name for the company i ended up actually working for but then and i was really excited and i was messaging my friend i was like oh my god i'm gonna be working in interior design like it's gonna be so so different it's gonna be so fun like it's right up my street and then when i get there and i realize that the place that I was going for was not the interior design company I thought it was but it was actually some sort of online butchers that does butcher ring 
of meats to things like schools and restaurants in a local area. It was um, a little bit disappointing. I didn't hate the, the job. The job was actually quite nice. But it's not interior um, design. <laughs> but it was not the job that I thought it was going to be. No. And so I had to plaster on this fake smile in the interview when I went there and they told me what the job was. Because I was like, oh. <laughs> you were like Maxine's meat guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with the meat guy. <laughs> Lynette and Renee have a presentation ready for a client and they begin to show her all of their ideas. And just to give you the rundown, this client is looking for something for their baby's room or their child's room. Seven. She's seven years old. Seven! Renee is showing the ladies the ideas, which she isn't liking as she thinks the design is too old for her child. And Susan overhears this. And then she starts giving her ideas about how they could make it more child-friendly with some decorations and paint certain characters on the walls and stuff. The lady likes the idea and decides to call to talk to her daughter about it. This annoys Renee, who says that she felt upstaged by, and I quote, the woman who does the dishes, end quote. And Lynette tries to comfort Susan, saying that she shouldn't have been spoken to that way. But Susan does an annoyed walk-off. Renee was mad. Renee really was, but Renee's ideas were piss poor. I actually really liked the sound of Renee's idea. I just don't think it was suitable for a seven-year-old's room. Yeah, I think Renee's idea sounds good to an adult who wants to do a kid's room, but it's not what yeah. kids want. I would have said that from the... You're looking at... That would have been okay from around the age of nine or ten, yeah. when they've grown up a little bit and they don't want something as childish as cartoon characters or something on their walls, and they want to feel a bit more sophisticated because they're growing up and sort of slowly coming into a teenager. And when a child gets to that age, they want to feel more sophisticated. They want to feel a bit more grown up. So I think that would have been suitable for that age, but I think that this woman's child was just too young to really appreciate Renee's elegant, classy bedroom. Lynette asks Susan what's up and asks if she's angry with her and Susan says yes. <laughs> she opens up to say that she thought the job was going to be a designer in this interior design company and Lynette seems embarrassed about the whole thing, which is understandable considering Susan's previous line of work as an illustrator. I would have thought that Susan would have been good to bring in for the children. Like, she could have been a good person to do the children's rooms and the the child clients. But I understand what happened here, because Lynette isn't the one that asked Susan about doing this job. It was Renee. Lynette didn't have a clue about it. Yeah, but Susan's there, like, now it's just this horrible reminder that my friends will see me as the poor one. And it's not your friends that see you as the poor one, it's Renee. That seems yes. she was the poor one. <laughs> yeah, because she says she's grateful, but she's embarrassed because she wasn't in a position to say no. Yeah. Lynette tells her that things aren't changing between them, and she gives her a hug, offers to go downstairs and crack open a bottle and get drunk together. Yeah, and Susan go, agrees. Let's go crack open a box of wine. Right, let's have some wine. Let's dish. You better have that boxed wine chilling. It was kind of sad, but it was, it was. It was a nice-ish ending. It, it does make things a bit awkward, though. Yeah. Let's move on to Gabby. Gabby burns the meatloaf, which Carlos politely points out, and then he asks why Gabby has set up the table so nicely. She tells him that Bob is coming over for dinner, which Carlos is not looking forward to as he says he has nothing in common with the guy, and they argue briefly. Mm. Later, Gabby is showing Bob photos of Grace and thanks him for the work that he did find in her. As a thank you, she gives him tickets to Cats, and he reveals that he doesn't like musicals brackets or figure skating beauty pageants or barbara and i'm sh- assuming they mean barbara streisand i'm guessing so like i mean it is funny to listen to gabby list all of these gay cliches but i do have a bit of a problem with bob's internalized homophobia here yes don't get me wrong you like what you like but yeah. you don't have to be so i'm not that kind of gay about it right <laughs> no exactly but both carlos and gabby in this 
episode seem to have really unrealistic expectations of gay people. Like, Carlos instantly switches off because Bobby's gay, and so he assumes that he's going to have nothing in common with him, and Gabby just immediately assumes that because he's gay, he gives a shit about, like, fashion and RuPaul's Drag Race and Cher. He says that he prefers beer and basketball, which piques Carlos's interest, and they decide to go to a game together on the weekend, which is lovely, because some gays do like sport. It, some gays do like sport, but in this scene, Bob does sit here and say, when I found out that Lee watched Annie seven times, even I wanted to gay bash him. Mm. Yeah, that wasn't really a great line, was it? Which hasn't aged very well, and your attitude, Bob, is ugly, and you should work on that. <laughs> yeah. So this upsets Gabby, who wants Bob to be a tired gay stereotype. Their words, not mine. So, it's 11pm, and Lee has come over to get the tea on Bob, as he does. He, he knows that Bob has been over. Apparently, Bob has been seen out three times with a hunky Latino, and Lee wants to know who he's dating. I have a problem with this moment. Lee, in this scene, doesn't actually say he knows that Bob has been over. We can assume that that's why he's come over, or we could assume that the reason that he's gone to Gabby to ask is because... She's Latina, and Lee has seen Bob out with a hunky Latino, and so he immediately goes to Gabby, assuming that Gabby will know this Latino that Bob has been out with. You're probably right. Lee does seem like those kind of... He seems like the white gay man that everyone is villainizing these days because of what they're like. It's just, it seems a bit coincidental for Lee to just pick Gabby randomly. I mean, I know it's just to progress the story because it's Carlos that he's been seen out with, so, you know, I'm, th- I'm thinking too much into it, but overall, if I was Gabby, I'd literally be like, Why are you assuming I would know? (laughs) Yeah. Gabby reveals that it's just Carlos. Gabby says there's nothing to worry about, but Lee says that Bob has a crush on Carlos and that Bob is apparently really good at seducing straight men. And let's just stop. Yeah. Let's just stop. This isn't how it works. Oh my God. Also, very quickly, who hasn't had a crush on Carlos? Um, who, Who hasn't? Anyway, I hate this whole he fancies and seduces straight men thing because it's constantly used against gay people. It it really is constantly used against us as like we're predatory. Like our whole mission in life is to go out and convert straight people into the the church of homosexuality. Yeah, or just, I don't know, date rape them or something. It's used against gay people all the time. Mm. And it's also a common stereotype in the minds of sometimes ignorant or sometimes uninformed straight men of, oh, I just feel comfortable around gay men because I don't want them to fancy me. They normally look like feet, but some people, a lot of people do have that view, don't they? And it's not true. And look, there will be gay people out there who do find heterosexual people probably more sexually attractive than homosexual people. And that is probably a mentality thing because they want what they can't have. Also, they probably haven't met a lot of gay people yet. That too. You know, there are small areas. You know, people, especially in America, you'll have tons and tons of places which don't really have a gay nightlife or some sort of gay area for people. He then implies that Bob is a sexual predator and will get Carlos drunk and have sex with him. Oh, so that's why he likes basketball. I hate that. (laughs) Carlos and Bob then show up, so Lee sneaks out and Bob brings in a very drunk Carlos. Apparently he's been buying him drinks all night. Carlos tells Gabby that Bob has invited him to play golf at a lodge and they're going to get a room for the night, which Gabby doesn't like as (laughs) she seems to not trust them sharing a room. Carlos can see that she is concerned about something and asks what's wrong, and Gabby says that Bob is clearly trying to seduce him. Carlos says that he wouldn't let this happen anyway, but since it's bothering Gabby, he tells her that he won't. Which is actually quite nice of him. It is. Season one, Carlos would not have done that. He'd just gone and not cared. But... I hate this. This whole scene, again, 
purely is ruined for the fact that Gabby says one week we hate the gays, the next week we don't have a problem with them. Like she's basically there implying that Carlos hates the gays and he doesn't deny it. Yeah, why do we have to normalize the homophobia? Yeah. Gabby even admits that she doesn't actually think anything would happen. No. In this scene, she's like, I know nothing would really happen. So Gabby goes to visit Bob, but he is annoyed and straight up tells Gabby about what she said to Carlos. She brings up what Lee says and Bob doesn't deny it. He just says that Lee's just as bad. Oh, yeah. He is annoyed because he thought that she knew him. And then she says that she's annoyed because he's different than she thought. So they're both having a similar conflict. Mm. And Bob opens up about his loneliness. He was excited to be invited over and then to find a friend in Carlos, but feels genuinely hurt that Gabby thought that he had an agenda. I mean, it's, it is lonely when you break up and the other one takes the friends, I imagine. Like, I, I wouldn't know because I've always been the one to take the friends. So and Also, we've got our own friends. <laughs> yeah, that too. Gabby feels bad and says that Carlos can go to golf with him. And Bob says thank you. So she's kind of changed her attitude a little bit there. Mm. Hilariously, the next morning, Gabby goes to Bob's and says that he can't go golfing with Carlos. It's so, so funny. Again, Bob, Bob's just like, what the fuck? He's like, for God's sake. Like... Before Bob can get too annoyed, she then says that there's someone else he can go with and drags Lee into the house. They both seem really annoyed with each other, with Bob saying that Lee's gained some weight since they broke up, because apparently the fat jokes are just coming it's a, in. It's only been four months, how'd you gain this much weight? And Gabby tells them that they're both miserable and it's time for them to get back together. She literally pushes Lee into Bob and they admit that they still love each other but have issues to work out. So she tells them to talk it out and she proceeds to leave. She goes right back in and she forgot something just to find them passionately making out. Eh, like I don't, I just don't care for Bob and Lee as a couple. No. Like I'm not that fussed about this. I'd rather see them both with different people. Yeah, I don't care about them as a couple. I don't mind that they got back together, but I'd rather she didn't just say that he can't go golfing with Carlos because he can go golfing with his own boyfriend sort of thing. Yeah. She then falls down the steps on the way out and Mary Alice narrates about humiliation again. <laughs> with Penny there watching her and laughing. Yeah. Even though the humiliation was not her falling down the steps, it was this entire story. It was trash. It was. This is possibly the worst Gabby story we've ever had in Desperate Housewives. So let's move on to the final story of the episode which is our neighbor of the season beth and mm. paul so paul and beth wake up next to each other after a night of false passion and sexual misconduct yeah beth tells paul that everyone made a big deal about sex when she was growing up but for her lying in bed next to paul is her favorite part which was nice this is weird this whole scene is weird this whole scene there are some weird flags not red they're not red flags but they're weird flags okay mm. they're like a flag we've never seen before for a virgin you were certainly open-minded I, well, I don't even know what, what that means. What did they do? Like, I, I bet that means anal. Like, I bet that means any straight men, they consider themselves open-minded and they stick it up her ass. Like, yeah, possibly some light choking. Yeah, like that's literally... And they were like, oh, he's like, oh, God, you were clearly open-minded. Girl, she was just doing whatever you wanted. But poor Beth, she didn't even want to have regular sex and she's got her mum whoring her out. Yeah, I know. And to be fair, if I were Paul, I'd be insulted. Beth here sits, sits here and says, you know, people talk a lot, a lot about sex and, you know... Don't get me wrong, it was certainly interesting. Interesting? Like, I, excuse, you're calling sex with me interesting. That's probably better than anything else that you could possibly <laughs> say if you're not interested in sex, though, right? Like, I'm, if I was Paul, I would be so offended. She then offers him morning sex, but they're interrupted by the arrival of a man honking his horn. <laughs> and that is not a euphemism. No. Paul then reveals that this is Derek, his cellmate from prison. Paul, Beth, and Derek are having dinner together, and Paul tells us a bit about them as cellmates. They were in there for two years together, 
and they looked out for each other, which is very bromantic. And Derek tells Beth that he went in for murder, although Paul says to keep this to herself. Yeah, but Beth is so cute in this scene. She is so proud that she knows what offence is. Mm. He then tells Beth and Derek that he'll be moving into the house that he bought, but won't tell Beth about the work that he's going to be doing for him to, and I quote, protect her. Yeah, it doesn't really help. That just raises more questions. Like, protect Beth from what? What are you doing? Yeah. He's like, mm. Beth, I don't like, don't ask any questions. I'm just trying to protect you. Bitch, that, that raises more questions. I don't think this show's doing a great job at demystifying any stigma and cultural concerns about ex-convicts either. No, definitely in this not. Moment. I don't know. I mean, it has Mike, but ultimately, no, it's not doing anything great about you know, destigmatizing it. Let's bear in mind, though, that out of the ex-convicts that we've had who have had some sort of sympathetic backstory or characterization, this is the first one of color, and they're not doing a great job of it. That is very true. That is a really good point. Beth is talking to her, and I quote, Mama, on the phone about the new situation when she sees Paul has left Derek's and decides to go over there. She talks to Derek and tries to get some info on what they're planning, as they seem to be doing some construction in the house, but Derek just tells her to talk to Paul about it. This may be a bit of a bold statement, but Beth is a bit of a fashion icon. <laughs> what was she even wearing? She was wearing this pink, like, almost like baby doll dress kind of thing, or like one of those 60s mod dresses. And she, it's like pink, and it's got like a black and white striped bow on it. And it looked lovely. And I will give Beth best outfit for this episode, because I've stopped doing best outfits. And she deserves it. She's become a fashion icon since entering this show. So She is cute. Do you think she's wearing a lot of dresses that are very sort of small girl like like childlike childlike yeah like and very yeah, i think it's supposed to highlight her sort of naive her mum's trying to like keep man- her as a small manipulated need- attitude needy child right yeah so her cute girl methods aren't working so she decides to rip her clothes and threatens to tell his parole officer that he attacked her if she doesn't tell her what paul is up to and we cut away before he says anything and my god she's she's going the extra step see like this is why beth is amazing and so so smart like we just don't see it enough up until now she's kind of just been that like naive whiny goes running to her mum wherever she can get hands on a phone kind of girl but now we're seeing desperation and deviousness from her like she's officially become a desperate housewife yeah and she has these really feisty moments where she's willing to do what whatever it takes to get what she wants outside of what her mum's making her do which gives me hope that maybe she can stand up to her mum at some point i think beth is up there as one of my favorite characters of the show i know like by all means (laughs) like like, oh it's just she's threatening assault in the most polite way i've ever seen where she like rips her dress and then like covers herself in i don't know what that was like construction dust or something and then she goes i don't like to be unpleasant mr jaeger (laughs) (laughs) yeah so paul comes home to beth on the bed in lingerie offering more sex <laughs> she's been chewing up the scenery bitch she comes walking in and she says coming to bed i want to make love again says nobody ever no <laughs> no she then says while undressing him that he doesn't trust her so she went to his ex cellmate and he told her everything she said that she was shocked by his plan and what he wanted to do to the neighbors but understands completely he then calls her the perfect wife, and they proceed to have sex. This scene is so hot. Like, the tables have completely turned in this moment. Beth isn't, is now the one with the power. Like she's got the upper hand all of a sudden. Yeah, she's going to get what she wants and make him trust her. Yeah, I just, I like the, the sudden power switch where Paul goes to undress. And because she's now got the knowledge that Paul has kept from her, but she's gone and got it herself 
without the need of him and she like pulls his hands away and starts doing the undressing herself and now all of a sudden in the bedroom she's got this new level of confidence as well yeah like just oh it's so well done i feel bad for her though she must be really grossed out about having to do these things probably we then see after the ending montage beth visiting her mother in prison we see that her mum is proud of her, and her mum is Felicia Tillman. Yeah. It's revealed that her mum is Felicia Tillman. Gag. Oh my god. So, a few episodes ago, remember when Beth had no idea why the ladies of the lane still had a problem with Paul, despite the fact that Felicia was still alive, and Karen then mentioned Felicia's sister, Martha? Mm-hmm. And we said, that makes no sense. But we'll find out in a little while why it makes no sense. Here is why it makes no sense. Because Beth had no idea about the death of Martha, or who she was. Martha was Beth's auntie. Mm -hmm. And the reason Felicia went after Paul in the first place and why she's still after him now is because Paul killed Martha. So how has Beth grown up not knowing about Martha or not understanding why her mum is after Paul? It would make sense if she was pretending not to know to the women on the lane, but we've seen her on her own just not really getting it. It didn't feel like it it was her pretending. Yeah, I legitimately think they wrote it that she didn't know about that, which doesn't make sense. But yeah, so such a gag. I remember seeing it the first time and it was a real gag. Like suddenly having Beth be like, son of a bitch, Felicia's daughter. Like you just didn't anticipate it. You just anticipated Beth being this sort of weird woman that just wants to be loved because her mother doesn't really seem to love her. So that's where the episode ends. Yeah, it was the episode. <laughs> so let's move on to our next part of the episode where Joel is going to give the gayest and the straightest moment. Starting with the gayest moment. So my award for gayest moment. Nobody was particularly gay in this episode, so I'm going to give the award to those two cats tickets. Yeah, that's fair. That's the, they get gayest moment. <laughs> Gabby was pretty gay. <laughs> Gabby was pretty gay. Oh, musicals, cats, beauty pageants, man. <laughs> so, but yeah, the award goes to those cats tickets. Yeah, that's fair enough. And then what do you have for straightest moment? My award for straightest moment. <laughs> goes to Paul and Beth. For doing anal and thinking that they're the most open-minded, kinkiest people that ever walked God's green earth. It's implied. Yeah, it is is implied. It is really (laughs) implied. Like, all of a sudden, it's like sex months, and then Paul's like, you are open-minded. So either they did anal, or they did a couple of positions that weren't missionary. Yeah. It's going to be one of those basic things. So now we move on to Bees Awards for Best and Worst Parent. So who do you have for Best Parent? My award for... Best Parent of the Episode... I gave it to Susan for being such a good decorator for children's bedrooms, but also Yay. for putting food on the table in a financial crisis. Well done. And having she, having she, to buy the cardboard crap. She's making sure that MJ eats breakfast. It doesn't. That's the most important meal of the day. It is the most important meal of the day, even if it is cardboard crap. Yeah. And there's no toy. But you know what? If you didn't buy the, the <laughs> fancy cereal all the time, maybe he'd be alright with it. Exactly. Can you have Cocoa Pops today? <laughs> no, it's not Sunday. <laughs> Okay, so bravo. Now, who do we have for the worst parent? My award for... Worst parent of the episode. I gave this to Felicia Tillman for only telling Beth that she's proud of her once Beth has done what Felicia wants her to do, showing complete disregard for Beth's feelings and discomfort. Absolutely. At all stages. Yeah. She's like, this guy is disgusting. He killed my sister and you need to do whatever it takes to get him to trust you, even if it means sleeping with him. Well, that's it. Like, Beth was almost out of the door but felicia was like no you've got to stay you've got to stay you've got to do anything it takes to stay but beth was so close to getting out also look at the way that she acts that is someone who has had a hard time with her mum. it was also i i almost i felt almost like a shift in her mentality and her voice almost when she said oh i've i found out 
what Paul's doing. And then Felicia says, oh, I'm so proud of you. And then all of a sudden she goes, thank you, Mama. But like the voice is ever so slightly different. Like, it's almost like she taps into this an other person in her brain that is so desperate for, for the love and affection of her mother that it almost reverts her. I don't know. Maybe that's just me overthinking it. No, you're not. She's in a very childlike state the whole time, isn't she? Mm. So that was the end of the episode. That was season seven, episode seven, A Humiliating Business. Mm. If anyone has any questions, queries, comments and theories, where can they find us? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review. You can also email us. Our email is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com. And you can find Louis, who does the podcast artwork on Instagram at design, And there's a link to his Etsy page where he does commissions. Join us next time when we'll be back in your ear holes with Season 7, Episode 8, Sorry Grateful. That's a weird title. Yep, there's not even a comma. Oh, that's awful. I hate that. <laughs> I hate that. See you then. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.